Welcome back, lovely Hello, people. guys. Hello. Welcome, welcome. So if you're here, you either found us by mistake, found us and said, oh, this is interesting, or you listened to our last episode and realized that this is the first of our two weekly episodes, episodic series that we're doing now. So, uh, yeah, welcome. Thank you for showing up. Yeah, that is either uh, Thursday or Friday, uh, depending on where you're listening from. And uh, we've got a doozy of a second episode for you this week. Um, we've got a couple really poignant, uh, just different things. And we're, we're excited to share what we have to say with you. Yeah, agreed. No, I mean, we got, we got two. If you were here on uh, Wednesday... You will know that we are going over Stanley Kubrick's 1962 film Lita, and then 1964 was it 64 or 65? 64. Uh, 64. 1964 film Doctor Strange Love, or what was the title? How I wait? No, no, no. Say the title. Say the correct title. I love it so much, and I'm blanking. Doctor Strange Love, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love and Love the Bomb. So love the bomb. Magnificent title. It could be my favorite film title of all time. Yeah. I did a little uh, I, little story. Um, I got kicked out of drama class uh, my senior year of high school. Um, and every period during drama, I was to work on a presentation. Um, and I ended up doing about a five-page presentation, or five-slide presentation in about a month and a half of uh, supposed to have been working on it. But I was in the library with my friends. Um, but I did a little like Greek tragedies or my presentation that I had to do because I got kicked out of drama class. And that was the title. Really? Uh, I, it, it was a lot more eloquently worded than that, but that was uh, a little tangent, but I've, I'm also one to employ such a, such a, Oh, that's fantastic because like like we were talking last episode like like how much we love the title but also in terms of like the atmosphere that it created the font just at the very beginning with this huge title and just kind of it was it's magnificent because it, it in some way the font itself kind of paints a story like it's it's kind of it's not ugly but it's it's very unique in the sense um, sorry go ahead it's almost uh it's 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 almost postmodern, really. The the font. Um, it reminds me of the font that's used in like, like I said, postmodern sort of satirical books, even adolescent books, like yeah. Diary of a Wimpy, or something. It's this pencil or or crayon sort of uh, sort of yeah, you it, know, it, sloppy it, writing with great form. Yeah, no, it looked like, like, you know, when you're in high school, maybe early college, and you're like, do get, create a poster, and you go to create, like, the title, and you want to do, like, the block letters, and you want it to look cool? That's what it looked like. That's what this is. Which I think, you, you talked about how it was, like, goofy looking. I feel like, and I know you didn't say the word goofy, but that's that's going to be the way I sum it up. Um, I feel like it really kind of it, it emphasizes the black comedy that the film ends up being. And you, it creeps up on you. the The comedy does, yeah. Um, but once it goes full fledged, and once once uh, the film hits the ground running, it is it side stitches. It's so funny. 
Oh yeah, no, I I completely agree. It's it's I think what makes it perfect is that it's taking such a serious 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 situation, but it's it's making so much light of it even though the ending is so dark. It is so it's probably I mean the darkest ending of any film I know. I mean, if you if you just go by the numbers. Yeah. No, this I- film has a body count of billions. Everyone dies at the end of this film, including our grandparents in 19... Well, I, this this film's set after. You in know, the 1960s. So my, just my yeah. grandparents, yeah. Yeah, my father wasn't alive. Yeah, was mine. Mine. About a decade before my dad came along. Yeah, my dad was born in 65, so... Um, did you, uh, did you catch... Um, well, I, I suppose we'll... we'll jump into the plot uh, pretty quick here mm-hmm. um did you catch the name of the uh the u.s air force brigadier general um that uh, actually sends the code uh yeah. to the planes attack plan r what's his name yeah jack ripper i jack d ripper yeah like so what's funny is that like like I, so I keep notes when I'm right, like when I'm watching a film and I really want to dissect it for this, for like this purpose, I literally take out a notebook and a pen and I just kind of write down my thoughts, kind of write down like, like information from like maybe character names or like, 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 so for instance, like the CRM 114, just in case fits like a metaphor or something that I can remember later. Like I will write that stuff down. The CRM 114 is like the device they use to get information or get like telegraphs or, or, uh, or like a message without being on like a radio frequency, right? From the planes. Um, but, like, I, I had General Ripper, and I was like, what's his name? And then uh, Mandrake says Jack, and I wrote it down, and I remember just being like, Jack Ripper? Yeah, it's on his little uh, little nameplate, too. Yeah, I missed that. I completely missed it. You know, uh, actually, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty funny. Kubrick uh, calls back to, the, you mentioned the CRM-114. Um, in some of his later numerology, uh, in A Clockwork Orange, Alex is injected with a drug uh, to reform his criminalism, and it's called Serum 114. C-R-M 114. Serum. That's so funny. See, isn't that just perfect? That is like Kubrick. That's Kubrick. It's great. Oh, yeah. And we're just, in the next month, we're going to go through so much, so much, so many numbers. I mean, Kubrick loves using, uh, you know, calling back to important numbers in his past film. Yeah. Um, and then in Eyes Wide Shut, uh, there's a morgue uh, that uh, that uh, Scientology bro character. Um, what's his name? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise's character goes to a morgue, and it is a uh, room C R M fourteen. Ah, I love it. I love it so much. Um, how, how can I not remember Tom Cruise? Dude, it is. We're recording at 11 o'clock at night after we just had an hour and a half recording and we're recording our second. So I, I think you have an excuse. Well, I think you. So, yeah, no, but the whole the rest of the film and, and as Cole alluded to, you've got General Jack Ripper at his kind of military base. He sends out this code, which is called uh, FGD-135 Wing Attack Plan R. And Plan R essentially is if there is a Russian sneak attack, nuclear sneak attack on American soil, 
And if there is any issue with the president and that his, his chain of command, because the president supposedly or supposed to be is the only person that can deliver a nuclear strike order. If he is attacked or if there is a sneak attack and he cannot give the order, a lower ranking general can. And so this General Jack Ripper sends the order, FGD-135, and he sends one of his planes, or actually more than one. He sends all of his planes. A whole fleet of planes, yeah. Yeah, on this. We follow one. The reason I say one is because you, you only follow the one. But a whole fleet. And all of these planes launch two hours away from their targets in Russia. Yes, which is perfect because the film's 90 minutes, and so you, you, you are almost pace for pace, stride for stride, following the storyline as it unfolds from... From code launch to the tail end, <laughs> whenever the bomb drops. Spoiler. And it's a very fast movie. I mean, it it, yes. it moves with you know with the tension that Kubrick creates. It moves just as fast as the 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 politicians are probably feeling like the planes are. Yeah. Um, and I I completely agree. And in so the rest of the film after uh, General Ripper sends out this this order the rest of the film is you have politicians in in washington with the with their fictitious president and all of his generals in the war room trying to decide what to do and it that was i think some of those scenes in there were the most funny instances in any serious situation i've ever seen ever the conversations between the kremlin and what was the president's name it was so funny merkin muffley yes uh it was so Played by peter sellers Yes, Peter Seller play- – dude, so this is something I wanted to talk about. Peter Seller plays Dr. Strangelove himself. He plays President uh, – what was it, Murflin? Merkin Muffley. Muffley, there we go. President Muffley. And this one was the one that caught me off guard because, like, I knew he played those two. I watched the whole film, and I was like – when I looked it up, I was like, what was his third? Because I looked it up because I didn't know if there was any third character hiding in the woodwork that I just didn't notice. And surely enough, there was. So I was like, which one is it? He played Mandrake. Yes. That, and Mandrake is the funniest character in the movie. Oh, I love Mandrake. That's, but that's what, like, the, the range this man has. Oh, what a talent. And I, I'd never seen one of his movies. I, mean, I guess I'd seen The Pink Panther when I was a kid, but not in recent memory. Yeah. And then I watched this and Lolita in the, you know, in a span of 48 hours. Like, Wow. Peter Sellers, the man. comedic range. What was it that? What was the statement that we had texted back and forth? He might be one of the most criminally underrated talents in all of cinema history. Yes. Um, another thing that we failed to mention. Um, uh, highlighting some of the, I guess the just the complete silliness of these, these uh, you know the way that these military things are carried out is uh, under attack plan r um the uh the flight uh the radios in the, on the planes have to be uh set to crm 114 which means that they cannot receive any uh like callbacks on the code they cannot receive any new codes from washington or anywhere else they can only receive codes from other planes yeah and and they have to receive when they receive a code if they are to receive one to be like a callback code they have to receive a specific like letter like three letter code and if that code was picked by general ripper and nobody knows what it is and so i guess i guess this would be a good time to kind of fill in the holes in the story that we have painted so far 
Um, so story begins. General Ripper sends out the code, um, puts his base on lockdown as per the instructions under Plan R. And as everyone kind of figures out, like, like, so you follow another character named General Buck, and he might he it was another one of my favorites in this film. I think he he cracked me up almost as much as Mandrake. General Tur- General Turgeson. General Turgeson, Buck Turgeson. He was so good. Uh. Um, he was very infuriating at times, but he was very funny. Um, but uh, General Buck. I'm, I like calling him General Buck because I love the name Buck. But General Buck Turgeson, this man, he, I love when he gets the phone call because it really, like, it's a black comedy, so it's a very serious and very dire situation. I love the the, the awe it kind of sets in immediately whenever he gets the phone call when he's in bed with his secretary. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, he, he picks up the phone because another general's dying to call him, and he doesn't want to take it, and he finally takes it, and he's like, wait, why can't you talk to General Ripper? And the dude says, yeah, I cut off all communication. And General Buck is like, do we have any reason to be launching this plan R? Like, put everyone on code red, like, lock down everything and just be safe. But, like, do we have a plan? And the other dude was like, no. Like, over the phone. Like, you don't hear it, but you infer because General Buck's response is like, I didn't think so. So I, I think that just, like, it, the kind of the – what sets up to be a misfit chain of events is very, like – what are we missing? Like, in this serious situation where we're nuking Russia, what information <laughs> is the rest of the White House missing? <laughs> and it turns out... Oh, it's just out, comedic genius. Oh, it was beautiful. And so it turns out, as the rest of the story unfolds, um, General Ripper himself is a... I don't... He's not schizophrenic. He's just paranoid. He's paranoid. It... And from pretty much the first time that he speaks, uh, it it start you start to kind of understand um, that he he's a paranoid man because he's just he he's so paranoid about the communists. Uh, Bodily fluids. You speak on it for a second, and I'll I'll find the his first monologue. Okay, so as as you hunt for that, so this man you heard me say bodily fluids because this man is in. Factuated with the idea that communist Russia has slight, silently infiltrated their government. Not only are they going to take over and educate their children to be communists, and they're going to turn the democracy that we know and love as of 1964 into a communist state. He also believes that they are they changed the fluoridation of the water and are making the water um, kill them. So he he constantly goes on and on and on, on about our precious bodily fluids. And uh, he drinks nothing but like straight distilled water, and he he goes on and on about how he talks to Mandrake. And he believes that R- Russians never are inclined to drink a glass of water. Yes, he he insinuates they only, they only drink, drink vodka. vodka. Yeah, it's it's real, just comedically xen- xenophobic. Yeah, statement it, after statement about the commies, and that's his his hatred and his fear of the communists are why that he uh, um, deployed the attack in the first place. He right. says. Do you realize that fluoridation is the monstrously conceived and dangerous communist plot that we have ever had to face? He's talking about like water purifying, yeah, water, purifying water, and uh, you, you 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 realize, and it's very uh, deliberate that he is he is the fluke in the system that everyone talks about, the human error, yeah, that someone like this with this level of uh, insanity could could be trusted with something as dire as the nukes yeah um i think the funniest conversation from that when he's going on and on 
he what did he say? He was talking to Mandrake, and they're they're so long story short. Um, after he launches his attack, the president orders another general to send his men into the base. Uh, what was it? Was it uh, Burpleson was the name of the base? And uh, something like that. And so, literally, you have like like base on base fire in 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 this kind of world that Kubrick has created. Like literally, uh, General uh, Ripper and his his man Mandrake are both lying down shooting what a Gatling gun of sorts as uh what what kind of gun was it it wasn't a Gatling gun it was just a, it was a uh, uh like a browning yes uh cow it was huge like a belt head yeah and mandrake is is forced to feed the the bullets through as general ripper is absolutely firing back through his office and they stop for a second and and uh uh ripper holds mandrake close and he's like it was it, I learned about this when I was making love, and he said like a loss of essence. He said like I just felt like I had lost some of my soul or something to that. And he said, uh, "I can promise you, Mandrake. Ever since I figured out this, he said in that moment that was when he learned. He's getting older, so he just can't perform anymore. But then because he's paranoid, he associated that with this communist fear. So then this man says, uh, uh, "I can promise you, Mandrake, it's never happened again.'" And then he continues to say, women have tried. They have tried to gain my essence. And he shakes his head and his cheeks flap back and forth. And he goes, but I've denied them. And it's just just like, what are you talking about? And then when it cuts back to uh, Robert Robert Peter Sellers, his face he makes in that moment, he's just like, oh, (laughs) it's so funny. It, like, it's just he's flabbergasted the entire time. He's the <laughs> audience at this point. He really is, and it's so funny. Like in that moment, I'm watching this, and like, like I'm enthralled because it's a Kubrick film, and you, like I keep saying, you had this really dire, serious situation. Everything you said about the flaw in the system, you know it, and you're frustrated because you know the code from the very beginning, and you know this man can give it, and he just won't. And you're frustrated, and you're enthralled by this, this horrible horrible situation and as i'm sitting there just invested he drops that monologue and i just start cracking up like i cannot help but cackle because it's just so stupid it's like uh, do, you, do you know what it, a little bit later in the film the one that got me and it's just how peter sellers delivers these few lines um it's when like ripper is in like the depth of his like just psychotic break and the the army the U.S. Army at that is approaching, uh, you know, their their room, and he, he's he's not shooting, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Mandrake wants him to shoot because Mandrake thinks that the Russians actually coming in, and Mandrake doesn't want to die. And Ripper's just spewing all this nonsense, and Ripper says, "I don't know how well I could stand up under torture." And Mandrake says, "Well, of course, the answer to that is, old boy, no one ever does." And my advice to you, Jack, is to give me the code now. And if those devils come back and try any rough stuff, we'll fight them together. We'll fight them together, boy. Like we did just now on the floor, eh? You with the old gun and me with the belt and the ammo. Feeding you, Jack. Feed me, you said, and I was feeding you, Jack. (laughs) And Ripper says, no, Mandrake, I happen to believe in a life after this one. And I'll have an answer for what I've done. And I think I can. And Mandrake says, well, of course you can, Jack. Well, of course you can. You can. I'm a religion. You know, Jack. I believe in all that sort of thing. 
And he's just, he's trying to give him anything. He's like, just please give me the code or start shooting these people. Yeah. Don't go into a psychotic break. Like, I don't want to die, but also, like, please. <laughs> please, please give me the code now. Please. Like, it's, it, oh, it's so, it's morbidly funny, but it, cause, like, what happens next was, uh, but it was leading up to, to oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the yeah general ripper goes into the bathroom and shoots himself and 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 uh he dies um hey can i do can i do a little uh, another little reading yes i love everything you're doing is fantastic let me find it let me find it uh it's when it's merkin's call to the premier to oh the prime minister of Russia gosh yes is the Funniest dude, thing I've ever heard in my life, dude. The the thought of like like so to to paint the picture of that. So you have these bombs going in, or these planes with these nukes going into Russia, and the president is trying to find any way to ease over what's happening and make it stop. And so he brings in a a, a Russian delegate, um, who who picks up the phone and he speaks to the Kremlin and he's like be very careful he's drunk and then hands the phone back and and, uh, and then here's the comment. I read the whole call? Dude do go for it man go it says hello hello Dimitri listen I can't hear too well do you suppose you could turn the music down just a little oh that's much better yes fine I can hear you now Dimitri clear and plain and coming through fine I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then you say we're both coming. Good. <laughs> well, it's good that you are fine and that I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. Now then, Dimitri. <laughs> <laughs> now then, Dimitri. You know how we've always talked about the possibility of something going wrong with the bomb. The bomb, Dimitri. The hydrogen bomb. Well, now, what happened is one of our base commanders, well, he had sort of, well, he, he went a little funny in the head, you know, just a little funny. And he went and did a silly thing. Now, now, I, I'll tell you what he did. He ordered his planes to attack your country. Let me finish, Dimitri. Let me finish, Dimitri. <laughs> Well, listen, how do you think I feel? Can you imagine how I feel about it, Dimitri? Why do you think I'm calling you? Just to say hello? Of course I like to speak to you. Of course I like to say hello. Not now, but anytime, Dimitri. I'm just calling up to tell you something terrible has happened. It's a friendly call. Of course it's a friendly call. Listen, if it wasn't friendly, you probably wouldn't have even got it. They will not reach their targets for at least another hour. I, I am positive, Dimitri. Listen, I've been all over this with your ambassador. It is not a trick. Oh, my God. What a... Like, that's just... It's the so bomb, funny. I, I felt like... The hydrogen bomb. Dude, it felt like two parents, like, when one... Like, say that you have, like, a kid over, like, like a sleepover, and then your kid beats the crap out of your other person's kid. And you gotta be like, yes. so, yeah. uh, Lily... <laughs> I hope you're fine, yeah. but uh, I let me have, tell you what's happened. I have some terrible news. My kid went funny in the head, and he absolutely beat the living shit out of your child. 
your child has died. Yeah, like it's so yeah, funny. No, like, let me finish. It's How do you think I feel? Yeah, it's so funny. Like everything about that. Like Peter Sellers is comedic gold, and dude, like I I love every conversation between Dimitri and the president it was so funny. It was so. Well, okay. So what happens is, uh, Jack D. Ripper and Mandrake, um, are, you know, being closed in on by the army, whom they think are the Russians. And Ripper has the code that can bring back the planes, but he goes to the bathroom and kills himself, shoots himself right in the head. Um. So Mandrake is then in the room. And then an American soldier like comes into the room, and he's like a cool kind of guy. Um, and uh, they they have some funny lines. Um, and then Mandrake's like, "Let me use the phone. Let me use the phone." So he goes and he calls uh, uh, the like the war room. He gets a hold of him. And uh, and what was exactly how he described what the code might be? Um, it was a phrase that Ripper kept repeating. Yes, so- and. On the base, there was a phrase that was plastered everywhere called Peace on Earth. Yes. And in Ripper's psychotic state at his desk, he kept writing the phrase Peace on Earth, and he had this like weird like symbolism all over this piece of paper, and that's how Mandrake figured it out, because after Ripper shoots himself, Mandrake goes to the desk to figure it out, and he sees all the Peace on Earth, and he sees... Because it's even put... It's put in like all sorts of different variations. And uh, that's how he discerns that it's either like P-O-E or, or O-E-P or, or O-P-E or whatever. It was O-P-E, is, or yeah, is what it ended yes. up being. But that's how man, so, smart man, smart man. Uh, they guess it. Um, they guess O-P-E and they send this code out to all the planes. Um, except for one plane. Uh, well, the Russians actually shot down a, a couple of the planes. Just the three. Other ones, and then... Yeah, um, and then after uh, after uh, the president spoke to the prime minister and told him what was going on, um, or the president, uh, whoever it is, whatever his title is, um, but the 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 plane that we've been following um, as sort of the B plot, uh, they had been shot, but they escaped the Russians, um, and their their uh, their code transmitter uh, was damaged, and it. it can't receive codes. Um, so there's still one plane heading towards Russia uh, with the nuke, with the bomb. Um, and you wouldn't think that that would be as bad uh, as, you know, hundreds of nukes, but there's one stipulation. And what is that one, Ryan? The Russians as so eloquently put by Dr. Strangelove earlier in the film when he describes it. This, what I'm about to describe, is super easy. Um, And he said it's actually something that they should do, but they should tell people about it. So he was very mad that the Russians did what I'm about to describe and didn't say anything. Um, And it was hilariously described by their uh, ambassador that the Kremlin likes surprises, so he was going to announce it in a couple days, but now that there's a nuke going, uh, now everyone knows. There's a doomsday device buried in the ground in the earth of Russia, and the whole point is that when a nuclear attack happens on Russian soil back in the day, the USSR, it would set off this doomsday device that would 
in cloud the entirety of Earth for 93 to 100 years in radiac radioactive plume that would kill all life on Earth. All life. And there is now still one plane that can't receive transmissions, flying very low, damaged, leaking fuel towards Russia. <laughs> manned by in a, Russia. Dude, yeah, in Russia, manned by Major Kong. Major Kong. I love that man. He's so fun. Uh, he reminds me of myself because he's he's from the sticks. He's yeah. just a good old boy. He, the first thing he does at the very beginning of the movie, whenever they get the code and they get it verified, he goes to a a safety box and he like a, like a like a, a lock box and he like unlocks it and he pulls out a cowboy hat. And then he has a, yeah. he has a cowboy hat on the rest of the movie. He says, "Well, boys, I reckon this is it, dude." And so the the whole oh, James Earl Jones is in the is in the plane too. He's one of the uh, the operators of like the yeah. uh, the payload. Did you catch yeah. that? James Earl Jones. No, I didn't. I just kind of acted like I did there. No, <laughs> James Earl Jones. <laughs> yeah, Darth Vader, dude. Like, so you know the dude that was like uh, at the tail end whenever uh, he's trying to open the, the the bomb door bay, and it won't open. Yeah, and he's like, "That's James Earl Jones." Let's look that. Look at it, dude. Listen to it. Darth Vader's literally like payload cannot be dropped. Oh my god. That's James Earl Jones? Wow. It's him as a kid. He's so young. He's so young. A but decade that, yeah, before Star Wars. Uh, screenshot, he, he, he's, uh, he's kind of like a distinctive teeth. Yes. And, oh yeah, that's that's him, all right. Yeah. James Earl, oh, I guess news we didn't cover before, I guess I forgot. He's retired, or taking at least a step back from Darth Vader. No, good for him. They're going to use like AI now, aren't they? Yeah. Okay, and I, I don't think we should go on with that anymore. We should continue with Strange Love, but I forgot to talk about it in the last episode. So, uh, bonus for sticking around, I guess. Oh, yeah, a little piece of... Um, anyway, um, yeah, I, the, the movie ends with, uh, so the, the, as we're describing with James Earl Jones, uh, the, the bomb bay doors will not open, and so Major Kong gets up from his seated position at the front of the plane flying, and they're getting closer and closer to their destination, which they had to... So, I guess this is an important detail. They were going towards a specific um, uh, target, but because of the damage done to their plane and because they're losing fuel so fast, they had to make a secondary target, like just a random, like, oh, this is the closest place that we're going to shoot this, we're going to go uh, drop our nukes here. The president told the Kremlin to put all their forces at one or two places because there was no way they were going to go anywhere else. And surely enough, the plane went to a third location that nobody knew about. So, as they're getting closer and closer, and because of the damage, the, the, the bay doors couldn't open, you see Major Kong climb onto one of the bombs. One was called High There, and the other was called High John. Or some variation of the two. There are two of them. And so he, as he's on it, he's straddling it. He is reaching up, trying to... He's, like, messing with all sorts of cables, and he's, like, unscrewing stuff. He does it. He opens the bay doors, and as he's straddling it, the bomb he's on top of falls down to the earth. And as he's going down, in typical cowboy fashion, he is riding that thing like a bull, throwing his hat back. Waving his hat. The whole way down until he hits the earth and he nukes Russia and uh the doomsday oh. device goes off as well. 
and everyone dies. Yeah, the end of the film. Cole, I want you to describe the end of the film. Um. Well, I I was confused by well, not confused. I was so interested. The the solace that these people found, even as they 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 knew that there was nothing that they could do to stop the doomsday device from going off. All the people in the war rooms talking about what they're gonna do after, like, or you know, during the apocalypse, they start talking about this this cave system and going down into a cave system with all these attractive women and repopulating the earth. And I, at, at the same time, Doctor Strangelove, who's like half Nazi, is like. Could you maybe explain this a little bit better, Ryan? He, Doctor Strangelove is an ex, you know, uh, Nazi like weapons developer, um, and it's like half of his body is still a Nazi, so he's constantly trying to not heil Hitler and trying to not like, you know, be a Nazi. Right. Um, so they know that the bomb is going off, so they're they're all talking about like going down into this cave system and like repopulating the earth. And it, it, it proves and it accentuates Kubrick's idea of the disconnect between these, these upper, you know, these big wigs and talking heads and the actual people, because everyone's going to die. These people are including the, everyone in the world. They're, because they're the generals and they're not on the battlefield, they don't expect themselves to die. Right. Um, and while this is all happening, uh, Dr. Strangelove is part of the conversation. He's in a wheelchair. Dr. Strangelove doesn't walk. And then at the very end, he goes, Sir, and he stands up out of his wheelchair and he goes, I have a plan. And he looks down and sees he's standing and he says, Mein Fuhrer, I can walk, and he hiles, and then the entire world explodes. The doomsday device goes off, and everyone dies. That's the end of the movie. Do you see the bomb go off? I don't remember. You do. You see a lot of bombs go off. Yes. So I actually. And then it goes. Meet again. Yes. So I actually have a theory. So number one, uh, I have a quick fun fact. Did you know Peter Seller, uh, our boy Sellers, Peter Sellers? He improvised that. I had no idea, really. Yeah, that last line that where he jumps up, he improvised it, and then he told Kubrick, he said, "You might as well use that one because I don't know what, I, like, I can't do anything else. Like, I don't know what else you want me to do." Um, and so that they used it. That's the final take. That or that's that's the one used in the final cut because uh, it was just so funny. Um, but also, so I have a bunch of running theories, and, and there's something that you didn't you didn't say. So, well, you you nailed it. But there was one thing, one detail in particular that adds to what I'm about to say. Throughout the okay. whole, throughout the whole film, General Buck Turgeson is saying one thing. They're lying. I'm not saying he's right, but I'm saying that's something to look at because that there is never a res- resolution to that, other than the Russians saying they have it. What I think happened, I think there was a bluff. You think the Russians bluffed? I think they did, and there's one reason why. Do you remember what the Russian ambassador did whenever Strangelove is doing his little monologue at the end after the nuke went off? 
No. He walked over, left the group, kneeled down, took out a hidden camera, and took a picture of the war room big board. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is this is after Turgison caught him the first time doing that? Yes. And you didn't. Oh, wow. Here's really? the thing. You didn't know. So the first time Turgison stopped him, you didn't know who was telling the truth because the ambassador said that Turgison was trying to plant it on him. And Turgison was saying that the ambassador is a liar and was trying to take the picture. And you could tell the president didn't know who to believe. And they just kind of moved on. But then I didn't know that he did that. Wow. The, yeah. At the end, he does it. He, he, he walks away from the group as Strangelove has given his monologue about his plan. And he's going on and on about like uh, he's saying like. This is what we need to do. We need to bring these many people down into these mine shafts, and we're going to repopulate the earth. And he's getting all excited about like, like, about like what people he was saying. We need to just put in a, put information into a computer, pick out the most breedable people with the best DNA, which is very Nazi type. And he's saying, and he's getting all excited. And as he's saying that, the ambassador walks over, kneels down, as the group's distracted, and takes a picture of the war room big board. What I think happened, I think Strange Love was planted. I think really? I think I this is this is now there's nothing more about strange love. Oh. So I think strange love was planted to misfeed information. Now I don't know how that connects to to uh old Jack Ripper. But I feel like what happened was there was a contingency plan that if the Americans ever bombed Russia, there would be this like this kind of this uh smokescreen plan to make America freak out and not attack us anymore so that not only do we have enough – like we can be like, yo, look, we were attacked first, so we're going to retaliate to our own people. But also America will think that we're friendly with them, and we can't help but attack back. Like we have no choice. Our bomb's going to go off anyway. So what happens is is that the, all those bombs you see going off at the end are just over America. That's just over America. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that the, – the very end when Strange Love Mind Fuhrer, I can walk. He's uh, because he was lying. Okay. He could, yeah. I don't know I why. He, I don't know why he doesn't have control of his own body, but I feel like I feel like him standing was kind of the the uh, red herring to be like, okay, he's been lying this whole time. He's not really for us. He's not really helping us. All this information he's been feeding has just been a ploy for whatever reason with Russia. So I I wrote down this phrase at the end of the movie. Um, and and when I say villains in this uh, in this instance, I'm talking about villains to the American people. The villains of our past and present capitalize on our own paranoia. Yes. So I feel like I like that when I watch that film, that's what I got because like I asked this question. That's right. That has to be right. Yes. Because so I'm I'm looking here at the screenplay and it that it really points to that because the last line, strange love, sir, and then in parenthetical stands up out of his wheelchair. I have a plan. <laughs> yeah. In another parenthetical, pauses, realizing that he is standing. And then he says, mind Fuhrer, I can walk. It's a lie. He's just lying. I thought that the whole thing was like that because I, know, I didn't really know. I didn't really know what it meant. But wow. Yeah. That's a, that the, the mind Fuhrer, I can walk is him just saying something stupid that these people will believe to explain why he can stand up. Yeah, because he, he's been lying the whole time. He's like, so when I was watching the movie and when the ending got there and the, and the ambassador leaned down and took the picture, I asked the question like, okay, if the world's ending, why would he care? 
You know what I mean? Like, like what, what benefit does if, he if get? If the doomsday device was about to go off, why would he? Okay. What benefit? And the only explanation wow. is because it's all it, that is the thing. That is the reason. Because Dimitri, the the old Kremlin, lied. There was no doomsday device. It was just to get America to bunker and hide and not fight back, so that they could strategically and, and accurately and attack them. Not and to get Russia to shoot down their planes or to recall them. Yeah. There's no way to fight back wow. if they're if they're not expect if they're already expecting to die. They're not going to fight back. Well, and also, but it's not really flaw with your idea, but um, the the prime minister was trying to shoot down all the planes and deflect all the planes from uh, nuking his country. Not just he didn't expect for just one to, so he could no have a justified attack. No, so I think I think the, what I called it earlier is a contingency plan. I feel like the whole lying aspect. I feel like. And this is where I have the trouble connecting, because I still feel like that is in part accurate. I definitely think that Strangelove was in on it in some way, right? And I feel like like the whole point was to get the war room plans. Um, I can't connect it to Ripper, but I feel like what the plan was was the Russians, they said, listen, if for whatever reason we ever get attacked and we get hit, we're going we're gonna to bluff and tell them we have this device— and then when they go to hide and we tell them we can't do anything, then we all attack them. In in short. I will uh that makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. It I was so confused with a lot of the strange loves. Um because strange love only really makes you know a real appearance, you know, at yeah. the end of the film. Like he's not Strange Love's not even in the movie really. No. But it's named after him. Yeah. Uh, and that even um, his his last line even works as a foil to the whole last conversation about being in the, the cave system or whatever, yeah. because you know the mind fear I can walk is just it's such a distraction, right? Yeah, it's just to divert what they're actually thinking, yeah. um, and the consequences of what he's saying. And this whole thing about being in a mind shift is kind of like that too. It's just a distraction. It's that so strange stupid. Plants. It's so stupid. Yeah, it it's will banal. not work. No, it, it. And they understand that the bombs are being dropped right now, but they're they're talking about like putting it into a computer, selecting people for sexual virility to put into this mind shaft, and it's like, what are you guys talking about? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, but do they when they're speaking about this, they they know that the bomb is going off, right? You talk about the doomsday device? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so they're under the impression I still don't think there was one. They're under the impression that it was about to go off and that they had I think I don't think they said there was a time limit, but I think that they, they had like a little bit of time to prep. Like, oh, it's going off, but they're in Russia and we're here, so whatever. But see that wasn't really explained, I don't think, how long they had. Ah, it this movie just takes such a turn. I think. Yeah, like there's no real, just like every Kubrick film, there's really no real explanation, and that makes the rewatchability so high. I mean, I really think you might have played it pretty well. 
Thank you. That's just, I mean, that's just my, my theory. I could be wrong. There probably are infinite possibilities of what could have happened and probably a lot more diverse and a lot more accurate readings of it. Um, but like, see, even to get to Ripper, who's to say that maybe he wasn't gotten at, like, like the whole reason he was drove him paranoid. Maybe that was something to do with the Russians, you know, like maybe not like fluoridation in the water, but like maybe they did stuff to make him believe that that was happening. Or maybe he was just coincidental. I think that's coincidental. Which would make it even more ironic. Yeah. Um, like like I said, it's just an absurdist, satirical look at, like, human error. Yeah. And the ridiculousness of the fact that there aren't as many safeguards in place to keep these things from happening. I guess probably in 1964 it was much greater. Yeah. Um. And it's just, it's, it's such a play on arrogance, arrogance of higher ups. And I, I, I've used this word a lot, but they're disconnect from how things actually are, and you know the things that actually affect people, like everyone dying. And I, I know I keep harping on the end, but like it, when we have this conversation, they're. They're just horny. They're they're thinking. They're sitting here talking about sex. Yeah. And talking about like, I don't even know, just this crazy like, stupid idea. And then they all die. Thirty seconds. The primal nature of human being. Yeah. Right upon death, all they want to do is repopulate. Yeah. That's all they can think about. That's all they're talking about is sex, sex, sex. Yeah. Um. They want somebody asked, Oh, like if you put all these men and women down here and want to repopulate, like monogamy is not going to be a thing anymore, right? I think Turgis and he says, No, down. yeah, yeah. And Strange Love says, No, like, uh, you know, we're just they're just going to be uh, it's going to be breeding a lot, and all, all the guys around him, when he says that, they're kind of like, Oh. He says, re- regrettably, Strangelove says, regrettably, yes, as, as in there's going to be no more monogamy, but it is a required for the future of the human race. I will hasten to add that since each man will be required to do uh, prodigious service along these lines, the women will have to be selected for their sexual characteristics, which will have to be of a highly stimulating nature. And then one of the generals says, oh, well, I must confess, you have an astonishingly, astonishingly good idea, doctor. And it's almost some like Lord of the Flies stuff, like right at the moment of truth and the most vulnerable and the most, you know, monumental, like this is their last moment. This is what they would rather think about, the pleasures. Yeah. I feel like, sorry, go ahead. Maybe I'm looking at it through the wrong lens, or I'm not really. This isn't how like it was. Maybe not meant to be deciphered. Maybe I'm missing something. But that's what it's like to me. It's like these guys are pampered. Like you see, you see Turgis in his room. He's having sex with a secretary, and this. It's a black and white movie, but you can tell what color his room is. I mean, it's probably lime green and lime pink, fluffy with pillows. Nice. It's nice. Yeah, and like these people are sort of living in luxury, and 
like I said, in their last moments, they just can't even, they can't, they can't stop that train of thought. I want to say something about, because I think this is a good transition into Lolita, which we'll spend not as much time because we're almost an hour in on just Strange Love, which is just going to be how the Kubrick is. <laughs> if, um, yeah, y'all are going to uh, get to know our voices real well. Yeah, if you like Kubrick and, you're, and you want more of what we just did with, with Strange Love, we're going to be doing that all the time. So uh, stick with us. Moving on to Lolita, my guy Kubrick. This is the 1960s when he comes out with these two movies. No, not even like the like barely the mid. This is like early to mid 1960s. This man's kind of risque in each uh, film. Risque, you say, Ryan? No, no. Sir, well, what I mean is that like like he's got like like half naked women in both. Oh yeah. You just don't see that. Sure. Like, you don't yeah. see that in the 60s. You just didn't. Um. Am I wrong? Like, did you just didn't really see? Like, I felt like that just wasn't in cinema like it is I now. There, I think there were. I think there were like women in, like, like with their just like bikini tops in the sixties a lot, weren't there? I don't know. I feel like the sixties was still around the time whenever like cinema was like held under that harsh light. Like it was about to change in the seventies, but like I just feel like the early sixties was still part of that. Like that that it was leaving, but still part of that. Like that nineteen fifties where like you had like like uh what were they called where you had like groups that would watch a movie and decide whether or not it was good for the public. Yeah. Like both of these films, I think were, were absolutely panned when they were released. Like people hated them critics anyway. Oh yes, absolutely. That's, and with Lolita, that's, you know, definitely more so the case. Yeah. Um, I think it wasn't until quite a bit later that people uh, started to really come around to Kubrick's adaptation of the film. Yeah, um, I, I think this is this is accurate for both things, and specifically with Lolita, I say adults, but uh, the adults suck. Yes. They oh, suck. yeah. They all suck. The only person that's somewhat Tell innocent about that. is Charlotte. Yes, I would I would have to agree. And then, mm, well, she's not. Yeah, she is. She's just. She's pot. She's pious. She loves God, and she loves her late husband. She loves him to death. She talks to him, mm-hmm. and if you, uh, and she idolizes him because you know if you if you look at the photograph of uh, her husband is r- directly above a photograph of Jesus on the uh, like the armoire mm-hmm. or the dresser, you know. Yeah. Oh, I mean that's some just, just staunch symbolism right there. Yeah. Um. So I guess to to backtrack and go over the whole bit of the story, this one will not take nearly as much in terms of describing because I feel like the story is much more straightforward in Lolita. Um, you follow this guy. Cole, say his wonderful name. You ready? I'm ready. You want to know what the guy's name is? I I do. He's the main character of the movie. It's called Lolita, but he's the main character. He's an older man, and he's a writer. He's also a professor of English, of of, of French literature, so I guess it's English. But um, he's an academic, and he's a well-dressed man. He's very well... He's a, he's a dirty man. He's very cluttered. Um... And he doesn't really take care of himself aside from personal appearance. 
he looks very good all the time, and he's very well groomed. Shaves twice a day. Um, and he's a pedophile. He is attracted to young women. And in uh, the book, it is you know pretty explicit that he's, he's into all these various nymphets, as he calls them. Um, but he's attracted to uh, the titular character, a young girl who's 14 in the movie, 12 in the book. The man's name is Humbert Humbert. You heard it. You heard it here, folks. Humbert Humbert. That's his name. Can I say it one more time? He goes by Hum. Please do it. Humbert Humbert. And he is an Englishman. Sorry, say he's very British. Oh, he's the most British. And he is a disgusting, vile man. He's so nasty. He's so gross. Oh my god. He Humbert Humbert is the most disgusting man that has ever been put on screen. He just, I want to take a shower after saying the name Humbert Humbert. Yeah, you know what makes it worse is that he like acts normal and so every other character loves him except until they start getting suspicious but you know what he's thinking and you know what he's doing and so like when you see him like making oh oh, oh. <laughs> see the thing is is humbert humbert moves to america and as soon as he moves to america he says yes i'm gonna have a nice luxurious relaxing summer and right in a, a small resort town in new hampshire so he you know looks around for a place to live and he eventually finds a, a widowed woman and her daughter um, who live in a nice big house. He pays 200 a month to live there. And he's, you know, before he goes into the backyard uh, where he realizes that he wants to buy the house, he's kind of on the fence about it, and he's looking around. She's showing him. He's like, okay, yeah, this would be, be cool, whatever. Like, maybe, maybe. This is a nice house. And then he gets to the backyard, and he sees his precious Lolita sunbathing and as soon as he's here, he's like yep I'll take it I'll live here with y'all and uh he's obsessed with this like child sexually obsessed with this child like he wants to be married to her he wants to fall in love with her for the whole movie for two and a half hours like this is like this is like seven minutes into the movie as soon as he sees her that's he has one goal and it is to Sleep with and be with Lolita. I really so keep going, but I want to read uh, the dude. There's this nasty, nasty dialogue of when he or monologue, internal monologue. Whenever he sees the or when he, uh, sorry, when he, uh, what am I saying? Oh, when he's talking about Lolita before she comes up to his room. Okay, well, what is it? Hold on, I'm looking. Um, so he's, like, writing in his diary, and he's talking about how innocent she is, but she knows what she's doing kind of thing is what he said. Oh, my God. Oh, it was so nasty. He's just so gross. Like, I just can't. I, it's, so, it's so hard to even, like... And you don't really, even though, like, he's, like, into this girl, obviously, from, like, the very beginning of the movie, you don't really understand the length that he'll go to and the 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 sheer obsession that he has with her you don't want it <laughs> you're like no you 
Yeah, as soon as he got in, as soon as he was in, like, they go to the theater, and, like, it's, like, as soon as he moves in, and it's, like, he's in the middle, and Charlotte, the mom, is on his left, and Lolita's on the right. Something scary happens in the movie, and they both grab his leg, like, right next to his penis. But he only grabs Lolita's head. Oh, and he seems to be annoyed that the mother has grabbed him on the leg. So nasty. And it's just like, oh my god. Oh my god. And, you know, throughout the movie, you know, as, it, as things come along, the mother falls in love with Humbert Humbert. Like, they get married pretty soon, right? So he is now Lolita's stepfather. And he's living with her. Um... But, you know, like they go to dances together and they go to social outings. And he starts to understand that Lolita is very, very uh, attracted and attracted, uh, attractive to young men. She's she's in that age. You know, she's 14. She's starting to really hang out with these young guys. Um, and what what's really happening? is that she's 14 years old and she's running around with a little boyfriend, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's just hanging out with her friends from school, her classmates. And like, they're just having a little innocent, like fun little teenage time. But to Humbert Humbert, she's out here taking it. And he doesn't <laughs> like that shit. He does not like that. He goes completely paranoid that she's, you know, with these other young uh, you know, like, you know, Humbert Humbert's an old guy. He's like middle aged, like kind of like late middle age. Yeah. Um, and Kubrick uses a lot of like imagery and, like I said, a lot of like I phallic sim- sim- symbolism throughout to show the the depths of Humbert Humbert's madness and his his ideas of what Lolita is doing with these men. So I found his inner monologue from early in the movie. Well, I, I also take it back. She's not just classmates. I'll take it back. You ready for this? Yeah. So he's writing in his diary, which comes back. Um, and and I didn't. I, diary. I completely, completely forgot the ending of what his monologue was because it completely like it. It, it foreshadows what happens. Um, but it says what he, he says in his diary, and he's monologuing to himself. He says, what drives me insane is the twofold nature of this nymphet, of every nymphet, perhaps. This mixture in my Lolita of tender, dreamy childness and a kind of eerie vulgarity. I know it is madness to keep this journal, but it gives me a strange thrill to do so, and only a loving wife could decipher my microscopic script. Oh my god! Yeah, when he when he said that, I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> I just, ah, uh, I just hate it so much. I know, isn't it disgusting? I hate it. Like, I just don't even want to talk about this. Like, I do, and we will. But yeah, like, I'm, I'm not going to talk about like, what he said about about Lolita because he he says some like, uh, but but the the whole and only a loving wife could decipher. What does that mean? Who found his diary? The, oh my god, yeah. His wife, wife to be? Or his wife. He married Charlotte. His wife. 
that's just so gross, man. I know, like, I know it's disgusting. And he calls the in like the book when he describes her as like the cow. Yes. And like, here's the thing: is like maybe I'm getting the timeline, but this is kind of like what sets. Um. And this is like the most absurd part of the. It's actually really fun. Um. She finds his diary. The woman, the Charlotte, the mother finds his diary, and she's disgusted. She's like, "Oh my god, who is this monster in my house? Like, who did I marry?" He's talking about like having sex with my daughter and like calling me a cow, and like he's obviously throughout the movie. Like before this, he's just not even interested in the mother yeah. she's just begging for his attention and he's not, he doesn't care about her he wants his, her daughter so what happens is she finds this book she starts screaming about him and she's like get out of my house so she leaves she leaves the house and then she gets run over by a car and Humbert's like oh good ha <laughs> that really wraps things up nicely for me. That laugh is perfect because that's exactly what he's like. Yeah, he's like, yeah, okay. Now she's mine because now she's he's her stepdad and. Oh, oh my God. Humbert, dude! Like the whole time I was like, Humbert, <laughs> stop, please, stop, <laughs> stop what you're doing, man! Like you're, he's so happy. Yeah, that his, that his wife is dead and that now he can have sex with her with his now daughter. He's just like he goes and he runs a bath and the cops are like in his house and he's like trying to take a bath and he's all happy and they're like, "Hey man, like do you want to know like something? Like do you want to know how she died? Or like do you want to know like details of the crash?" And he's like, "No, that won't be necessary. Yeah, please don't tell me." Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even want to know like about that, about her crash, because he's too busy, like happily taking a bath because he's excited to be able to marry Lolita now. Dude, like even the father of the dude that ran over Charlotte comes in and is like, "Hey, you do know it was the 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 pedestrian's fault, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, I know. I'm not going to sue you. Like it, it's completely. You're completely <laughs> right. It was her fault. Completely her fault." And the dude, yeah. like, the dude's like, even like, oh. Oh, he's well, like, okay. The least I could do is pay for her funeral, and then, and and uh, Humbert's like, yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so bad, man. It's just like, <laughs> like he did this poor woman so dirty. I know. Oh, and then he go and like Lolita's at summer camp, right? And it's aptly called Camp Climax. <laughs> because, you know, just yeah. further showing, like, that Humbert thinks that she's going up here and just, like, doing all this fucking crazy Absolutely sexual Absolutely just getting it, like. Dude, catching that rod. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but Humbert goes and, like, picks her up from camp. And she's like, well, how's mom? And he's like, ah, she's good. She's a bit ill. But she's fine. She's in the hospital. That's where we're going. She's in the hospital. And then he completely stalls the entire way to the hospital just so he can have this, like, fun little, like, date adventure with Lolita. 
And then she's like, let me call my mom. Like, let me call well, my mom hold right on. now. He's Before like, that, what, you're skipping something, dude. What happened when they what? were at the hotel? Oh, well, they had sex, of they course. They oh, yeah! did yeah! the deed! Oh, my God. No! Literally, so when I'm watching this, literally, so like like I told you, I keep notes, right? Oh. And she's like, let's play a game. And what's awful is that Humbert was right. She was sleeping with somebody at the camp because she's like, this game that me and this dude at the camp played. And and all it does, all she says is, look, you've never played? Well, well, whatever. And then it just cuts to the next scene. Like, it fades to black. And I wrote in my little notebook, I went, no! With, like, 17 O's. Like, no! Oh, Lolita. Oh. Lolita, why? Why? Like, of why? all the things that happened, why did she initiate it? Like, why? She doesn't even know that he's, a, like, creepily and, like, like terrifyingly obsessed with it. No, she doesn't. It just gets so much worse because it's like don't you know what you've done, Lolita? I know you had sex with this man. Oh my god! And he, he's like, okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go pick her up, and I'm not even gonna tell her her mom is dead until after I've had sex with. Her. And then the next day, I'm gonna tell her, oh, Humbert, why? Yeah, he's like, she's like, let me call my mom. And he's like, ah, uh, she's dead. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, she's like, okay, seriously, let me call my mom. And he's like, I'm afraid I have to tell you something. Poor Lolita. Your mother is dead. He sounds like a classic villain. He's just like, she's, she's dead. She's like, it would be, it would have been, honestly, it would have been better if he was like, yeah, no, dude, she's just gone. Like, she's dead. Like, <laughs> she's out, yeah. Like, Sorry, she I don't know what you, I don't know what you want from me. I'm telling you the truth, why don't you, man. Why don't you suck my fucking dick about it, <laughs> it's, dude? It's they, they have the same effect. Like, it, like he's so oh, it's so because he thinks that the relationship is so like sexy, and he thinks that he's so care. sexy. She won't care. No, no, she won't care. She said she had sex with me. Yes, Humbert, Humbert. I'm the only she relationship she ever needs. Yes, that her her only friend in the world, her mother, died in a car accident. Yeah, yeah he's surprised when she's sad. Yeah, like, he's like, you don't have to cry, Lolita. Yeah, what can I do to make it better? And they're at a motel or something, and she makes it even worse unknowingly because she's like, never leave me. Yeah, just like any oh. teenager would do. She's fourteen. She just went to camp, and like. We haven't even talked about Peter Sellers' character. No, we actually, we, we got into the meat of the story, but we didn't say what the intro was. Oh. So she's, she's 14, and at this point, she's having sex with a young boy at the camp. Who's like 13. The bomb, Dimitri. I'm talking about the bomb. The hydrogen bomb. She's, <laughs> she, <laughs> the bomb. She, She's, uh, uh, she's at the camp, I and she's wish... having sex with a young boy. What's that? I'm sorry. I wish Peter Sellers would have spoke like that. I think Humbert, uh, <laughs> he was having sex with young boys. Yes, with Humbert. young boys. Yes, yes Humbert. Humbert. With, yes, Hum, with young boys. But she's doing that, and she's also having sex with Peter Sellers. 
yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And then she's also having sex with her fucking dad. Yeah. Her stepdad, who she barely knows. And then, and then her mom gets hit by a fucking car. Yeah. Uh, Peter. Oh. He, so throughout the story, Peter is following Humbert and Lolita. As uh, what was oh. his? I know his last name was Quickly. What was his first name? Uh, uh. Ah, ah, uh, brain. Starts with a C. Hold on. Claire Quilty. Claire Quilty. I think I called him quickly. Quilty. Yes. It's so weird. It's like the weirdest part of this movie. That, like, through it, I, I didn't even recognize. I didn't even get that this was happening until after I watched the movie. Like, or I didn't tell you this, Ryan. I didn't know that any of this was going on. Which part? Claire Claire Quilty is Lolita's boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, you didn't get to that? Well, no, I got it. But, like, here's the thing, y'all. Is he's doing some really weird stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe some of the weirdest stuff in cinema history. He's dressing up as all these people. And talking to Humbert to get him to reveal that he is having a sexual relationship with Lolita. He's dressing up in all these disguises. Who all, who, how many did he do? He did a lot. I know he lied about being a police officer. He lied about being a German, not psychologist, but what was he? He was a... Uh, like a psychologist. The thing. school something. The school counselor, maybe. Yeah. I think that's it. Was there another one? Is it? Uh, there could have been. I'm trying to see how many characters. Um, because I know he was. I mean, Qu Claire Quilty was his name. That was who he was. Um. Uh, Humbert has a nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like a like a Perry the platypus. <laughs> yeah. Claire Quilty. Claire, Claire Quilty? Like. Because Claire Quilty is a good guy. Like, well, no. Because no, Claire Quilty is also having sex with a 14 year old. <laughs> I was about to say, but, oh, like, no. wait a minute. Oh, no. He's having. Claire Quilty, I think, is maybe the most, uh. The most, like, unhinged. Because he's, like, dressing up in all these guys to get. Uh, to get Humbert Humbert to reveal that he's a pedophile, but Claire Quilty is also a pedophile. <laughs> he's doing the same shit, but he... and following this man around the country. Yeah, all accumulating oh to. So I guess this is a good way to segue into the ending of this. Um, it's my favorite movie, Ryan. I'm sorry, that's the segue. This is the best movie I've ever seen. Because they do some weird stuff in this, and it, they do not hold back. This movie goes balls to the fucking wall. No, it does, but I, I swear like, to God, I still like Doctor Strange Love a lot more. No, I like this one. I, I like. I will die on this. I, it's not. I'm not trying to make a joke or anything. I think this this movie is fascinating. No, it is. No, it I think is, honestly, us talking about it has made me enjoy it a lot more. Um, but I still think I like Doctor Strange Love a lot more. But uh, this one is just... They're both... I mean, they're both satire. Yeah. 
this was just sick. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> just sick. So it's the, sick. Okay, we'll we'll get to the ending. The way so okay, eventually Humbert gets paranoid because he knows this guy's fallen, and we know it's it's uh Quilty or Claire Quilty. Um, but he doesn't know that. So eventually he gets a flat tire, and uh, did she, she was actually sick. Lolita actually gets sick, right? Yes, she okay. goes to the hospital. She did go to the hospital. She's a bad cold. Yes. Oh, and also let us. We forgot to say one thing about Claire Quilty. He's also a celebrity in the movie. Yes, he is a TV producer or a TV screen. and a playwright. Yes. So he he's got. Some <laughs> he's power. like a heartthrob. Yes. He's rich. Yes, he's got some power. Um, so eventually, after their their tire, they get a flat tire as they're traveling across the country. So Lolita, as this happens, gets sick. She goes to the hospital, and then uh, Humbert gets sick actually, and is just trying to sleep it off at his motel. And oh, this was the other character that Claire did. Uh, he called Humbert on his phone at the hotel. And, oh, uh, yeah. He questioned him about his daughter and about the relationship they had. And Humbert hung up the phone and went to the hospital to try to discharge her. And lo and behold, she's not there. This hospital. She's not there. She's been checked out of the hospital. This hospital was just like, oh, her uncle came by. And, and I want you to describe what he did next. Uh, this is really when you go from, oh, this guy is a depraved degenerate to being like oh this man will do anything to get at Lolita and he is an absolute psychopath who only cares about himself and he only cares about his relationship he is a crazy person because as soon as they tell him that he's like no no it's not possible this is not possible Uncle Lolita is in this hospital she couldn't have been checked out and they're like, he starts to get violent. Like he, he like he's like, oh, I'm going to the hospital. Like I'm going back here, and I'm going to go to this room, whatever. And so they try to apprehend him, and they get into a little quarrel. And he turns around, and there's like a female nurse that's standing there, and he just starts strangling the woman so hard, whipping her neck back and forth. And he's like trying to kill this woman. And that's when, you, and they go, they go, get the straight jacket, get the straight jacket. <clears throat> that's how I thought it was going to end. That they were just going to put this man in a straight jacket and that was going to be the, the end of the movie. Um, but they, they kind of calmed down and they let him go for some reason after he just like, like gave this woman like extreme whiplash. Like he messed her up. Like he actually they had all hold him down. Him. Yeah. 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 Oh, he tried to kill this woman. And they're like, nah, he's okay. Let him go. Yeah, he won't do it again. <laughs> yeah, no. They really were just like, he's fine. Yeah, yeah, he's good. Because <laughs> like, is... you gotta remember, this movie was made, like, you've seen old movies. This movie was made in 1960. Like, right. they kind of do weird stuff in old movies like that. Like, sometimes logic doesn't really come through. Like, they didn't really have it all fixed. No, but it still cracks me up that they were just like, you know what? He apologized. Uh, he apologized. Yeah. He, he, he's British. <laughs> he can't possibly be dangerous. Yeah. Uh. So what? Okay. So so, uh, this man Humbert Humbert, he doesn't see Lolita for three years after. 
right? Right, yeah. And then he gets a letter three years later from Lolita, and she's like, hey. And you can see it. You can see her typing it out on the typewriter. She says, hi. Sorry I haven't talked to you in a while. Whatever. Uh, I am married. I'm going to have a baby. We have a lot of debts. Send money. So Humbert is like, oh my God. I've got to go to her house now. Like, I can't just send her a check. Like, yeah, like now. I gotta, yeah. yeah. He's like, I got to go to her fucking house. So he goes. Like, he drives there, and it's real menacing. He's got that white car that, like, it's like a Cadillac or something. And it's almost like the shark in Jaws, like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Uh, Humbert Humbert in his car driving to her house. You get the feeling of dread. You're like, oh, my. He gonna Not do here. again. Not again. Like, Humbert, go home. Leave go this home. poor woman alone. Yeah, leave her alone. But he can't do that. He's still He's obsessed. Humbert Humbert. He's obsessed. <laughs> he's, so he goes. He's Humbert Humbert. <laughs> I love that excuse for him. He's, he just can't help it. I mean, throughout the whole movie, he does just some of the most strange stuff. It's just like, that's who he is. That's that's what he's... That's why he left England. That's why he couldn't be there, because he did this to, like, they, several other women. I'm, they kicked him out. They kicked him out of the country. So he goes, and Lolita is living her absolute greatest life that she could ever be living. Oh, for sure. For sure. She's got a wonderful, like, cozy home. She's married. She's She's married. She's pregnant. She looks beautiful. I can't really say that. But she looks great. Um, she looks like she's a grown woman. Yeah, she has like some weight on her. I don't know if they like intentionally did that. I mean, she's pregnant. She's wearing just like... She went from wearing her like sort of like sexual outfits to like... She's wearing like a maternity sort of like... I don't know what you call it. Like an apron sort of thing. Like she has become domestic. Right. Not really great. That's how Humbert was. Not um I know what and mean. she's got her husband up. Her husband and a friend, uh, a neighbor. And the husband comes in and he's like so chill compared to Humbert Humbert. Like he's such a foy. He's such a, a like an anti Humbert because he's just a nice <laughs> He is the complete... Lolita said, yeah, that guy that I used to fuck with, I the next guy is going to be nothing like him. Oh, it's perfect. Because, yeah, because he's like this country old boy, and he's nice, and he's strong, and he's pretty. And, like, he's nothing like... He's young, and he's nothing like old Humper. And Humper talks to him a while, and you think, okay, you think this is it. Like, you think Humpert's kind of figured it out. Like, oh, she's happy. She's obviously having this great, uh, this great time here at this house um, with this man. He's like, well, Lily, that kind of work. Humpert goes, her new husband goes out back. <laughs> and he looks at Lolita and he's like, there are 30 paces to the car. Get in the car right now. I know. He still begs her to go. <laughs> what are you doing? 
Why? <laughs> it's like, leave. Leave this place with me and start a new life with me. Like, what is he talking about? <laughs> when will you ever learn? And she's like, no. Yeah. No. I can't. Why would I, I cannot do, do this, man. Why would I ever do that? Old, nasty man. So he just starts crying. Like, he starts weeping. Um, and then you think that, oh, like, you think he's no, you know, like, he's no use. He's always going to just do the stuff. And then he gives her 13000 right there on the couch, like, after he cried. Um, which, in the equivalent, like, that's, like, an equivalent of hundred grand or something now. Right. Like, that's no, a lot a of lot money. That's a lot of money you know? for 1962. That, oh, yeah, 62. 13 grand is, like, that's that'll set you for a long time. Yeah. Um, and then he gives her the money, and then he does the most humper thing that you could ever do. He gives her the money. She's like, "Thank you." And he sprints out of the house. He sprints to his car. And he drives away at a hundred, and that's the last Lolita ever sees him. Because he does what? Oh, you want to know what he does after that? Yeah, well, what starts and ends the film? Okay, yeah, well, I'm going to describe to you all the beginning of it. Because you have a, a scene that, um, you have the very end of the movie that's said at the beginning. We haven't talked about it. This man, Humper, he goes to Claire Quilty's house. Lolita has, um, you know, after her mother died, she she admitted to um, Humpert that she... Well, no, 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 no. She admitted this to Humpert as soon as he got to her new house. She said that Claire Quilty had been her boyfriend for a long time and that they started having sex when she was 14, um, living with uh, Humpert's mother, um, and that he was just the only guy that she'd ever been crazy. And Humpert's like, oh my god, I thought crazy about me. Um, so, and she says that, like, he had been dressing up in all these costumes and been spying on them and following them everywhere um, to get... And what, what was he doing it exactly? Sorry, what? Why was Humpert... Why was Claire Quilty following he was obsessed. He was obsessed with Dagon Lolita too. Yeah, I think I really like. I I mean, there probably is a lot more deeper reason, but like the whole film, like it was. I mean, I I I had a feeling it was Claire, and I because like at the very beginning, whenever Charlotte, remember, um, Charlotte actually meets back up with Claire at the at the dance that they all kind of go to for the kids for their high school. Yeah, and Charlotte. And what did she say? Sorry, what? What did she say? Charlotte asks if he remembers her, and uh, and he does. And he asks about he oh, immediately yeah. asks about Lolita, and I think that that kind of like I that kind of kickstarted his feelings for her. And then immediately, whenever he suspected that Humpert, because you know it takes one creep to find another, when he suspected that those two were doing their deed, because he remember he he had his interest in her there, and then he ran into them at the hotel. Yeah, and pretended to be a cop. Yes, so I feel like after... Even he, though he showed up as Claire Quilty. Yes. 
with his wife. Like, he had, Claire Coolty has a too. He's got a whole a wife. Friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. He shows up as Claire Quilty. He's sitting there, like, eyeballing Lolita, who he knows, and Humpert, who he knows. Yeah. Um, and then when they see him later, uh, um, Quilty is pretending to be a cop. So that's when he made his decision. He's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to really, like, do some just Looney Tunes style, like, creeping on this and like, and you know, get her, have her. Oh my gosh, what a ridiculous movie! But anyway, so what happens is she tells him all Lita, cozy, and then he gives her this massive sum of money, and then he ridiculous fashion to his car, and he drives away. You find out he's driving to Claire Quilty's house, and he gets there, and Claire Quilty had just had a massive party house looks because there's just drinks just just it's in utter disarray there's like clothes like sheets everywhere and this is really when uh, i'm sure humpert humpert is being like oh my god this girl that i thought was so innocent lolita and was mine was really at these wild sex raves like who was this and it also made him even more mad at Qu- Claire Quilty for doing all these things. So he gets there, and Claire Quilty is there under a sheet, uh, like asleep, drunk. Yeah. And so Humpert shows up, and he's like, yeah, Claire Quilty, I'm going to kill you. Like, I'm going to kill you right now, bro. And Claire plays with him for a long time and adopts all these different voices completely Goes to every every length to disrespect Humpert. Yeah. While Humpert has a gun in his face, you know, Humpert like gives him a poem to read that he wrote about killing Claire Quilty, but you know, Claire just uh, brushes it off, you know. Um, and then yeah, uh, uh. He misses him after trying to shoot him for six times. The last shot, he hits him in the leg. And then um, Claire Quilty crawls behind a photograph, a painting of sort of a like a classical, like medieval, who looks just like Lolita. Um, and uh, Humpert shoots Claire Quilty through the painting six times, and he kills him. Symbolically, shooting him through the painting of Lolita, saying that because he got to kill Claire Quilty, his his obsession with Lolita is finally over. Killed that part in his brain, and that's the end. That's the end of the movie. Yeah, and you also be like I was saying in the intro. That's how the film begins: is Humpert finding uh, Quilty and and shooting him. Um, and then it goes back four years, and then it comes comes back at the tail end, and then whenever he walks in and asks for him, it cuts to a a running like a scrolling dialogue, like he was he died in custody on trial for the murder. Oh yeah, Claire Quilty. And that's the end of the film. Yeah, died of like muscular thrombosis. Yes, like something something like random. 
Yeah. Uh, and he died in jail. Yes, sir, he did. And I, I think that Humper is my favorite movie character of the time. Humper because is... he is just the damnedest old guy. Like, look up a picture of this guy, Humpert Humpert, to the audience. Like, I, I can't describe just the feeling that he gives me. Not because of his action, just the acting is so good from whoever played him that you realize, like, oh, this is the most disgusting man that I've ever seen in my life. Like, this, this guy is just notably nasty and just depraved, depraved, and he's just, oh, he's just. You know, I'll give you that. He the the actor was fantastic. If you're if you're looking at the at, you talk about him being your favorite character because of the actor, I'll give I'll give you that. Oh, Humbert. Humbert was we described everything under the sun. He is nasty. You get to know him well. You really do. Like you know Humbert by the end of this. You don't know Lolita. You she's always a mystery. No. But Humbert, you kind of start to get what he's about. And he's about one thing, and that's Lolita. Like, as soon as he saw her, he was like, yeah, I'm an old man, but that's that's for me. I'm going to like. have this little, little girl. Little bad thing, bro. Little bad <laughs> bitty. That little bad bitty. No, Come on, hop on, girl. Um, yeah, I... I fine as hell. After discussing it, it's definitely a lot deeper than what I think I thought of it originally, like, by myself. Like, I didn't think it was a bad yeah. movie. I just felt like it wasn't as deep as uh, Strange Love. But I definitely do think, now that we've discussed it, and I've just kind of heard it, and we've had our, our little talks about it, I definitely think it's a lot more, it's a lot, it's got more depth than what I originally gave it credit for. So, I'll give it that. Um, I still think Strange Love was better. I think Lolita is better. I think Lolita is like, I, I mean, yeah, it's a comedy. Lolita is sure a comedy. Um, and like, I get it. I get like, I, I couldn't stop cracking up through them. Like I, I laughed so many times just because of the sheer, just ridiculous nature of how much this man wants his stepdaughter. It's just absurd to me. Oh, I know it's repulsive, but it, uh, that's all I, I should have more. There's a great deal of symbolism. Everything in the the mise en scene, every everything you see in every shot of a Kubrick film is going to mean something, you know? Yeah. Um, and this this is no exception. This film, you could watch it over. Always with look at things on walls. Uh, if 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 everything is perfect. In the shot, look for something that's askew, and that's going to mean something. Kubrick hides these clues, and there, it, there's not a uniform way at all of deciphering, figuring out what they mean. You have to do that on your own. You have to figure out, okay, what what object or what character, piece of dialogue or anything is Kubrick trying to draw attention to anyway? And maybe the fact that he doesn't draw attention to something is him drawing attention you know oh, exactly. there, there's so many layers but there's always gonna be, you know like cross character 
element growing going on. Everyone is always going multiple characters present other characters that exist with the same film. You just you have to just like uh, if I had more examples, tell you it's almost one a.m. Like uh, the shots killing Quilty at the end, going right through a character that looks just like Lolita. Things like that. And we'll get more into this, especially with The Shining, especially with A Clockwork Orange. Um, 2001 is a little different story. Full Metal Jacket, different story, but still just so dense thematically. Everything. Eyes Wide Shut is a lot like The Shining and A Clockwork Orange. Oh, a lot of these films, I, I feel like uh, I've seen Eyes Wide Shut, you know, I've seen it three times. I love it. And I find a lot through these films that Kubrick kind of calls back to with Eyes Wide Shut. It really seems like it was, uh, even if it doesn't seem like, but once you go through the catalog, you start to realize, oh, like, there's sort of a, there's a lot of, there's like a cinematic universe. Yeah, for sure. Like Really, there's so many callbacks. Every Kubrick film feels like it's connected in some way, but they don't reference each other. No, they do in very subtle ways. Right. Um, but, you know, sort of the idea of the, the erotic thriller, the, the yearning for, a, for a, a sex that you can't have, you know? When I mean, we're talking real, like, sex, we're talking yeah. sexuality, that, that's just... The, a lot of the themes that come about in Lolita, um, they definitely later. And I would say that the Kubrick film that I mostly link this to is I Watch. Uh, I think that they're they're quite similar. And that's hey, that's a pretty high praise because you've talked a lot about Eyes Wide Shut, even off like. I know on here specifically, but like even off, you love that movie. I think I, I mean I love The Shining uh, in catalog, but Eyes Wide. I, I it will never drop. I I can't let it. just that. I love it. It's one of the best movies ever made. I oh. think it is so gripping. This is not the Eyes Wide Shut episode, but I can't wait for it. It has one of the most gripping plots of any film I've ever seen. And just the things that Kubrick says, especially about sexuality with the two films, is it he's really saying the these movies are all in encompassing. They're they're saying everything about sexuality. Yeah. And I, I think Kubrick really did a good job with that where I think a lot of uh directors and Movie people don't aspire to heights. That's just not what they're trying to do. But I think Kubrick, in a lot of these films, he picks a topic. Lolita, uh, obsession. Full Metal Jacket, war, the limits of the human psyche. Same with The Shining. Sexual repression with... Sexual repression with Eyes Wide Shut. And he says, I'm going to say marriage with Eyes Wide Shut. He's I'm going to say everything about this this subject, yeah. this topic. I have to, I have to say everything. 
because you can't leave anything out. And I think that he was the master of, uh, um, of, of doing that. And he, as we can see, Kubrick started that very early on this very early in his career. You know, he had several films before this, but oh, still, yeah. when you look at the whole, the whole, this is like his like third or fourth, fifth movie. Um, but Humpert Humpert yeah. is obsession. That that is the character. I think, and every aspect of just this, just insane yearning that one might, you know. Humpert does it all, baby. Is what I'm trying to say. Oh, he does. This man knows no bounds. Um, oh my god! In that breath, I think, I think it's time to rate them both. Um, we can change our ratings later after we've watched a few. Um, but I think we should start with Lolita because we spent the last forty minutes on it. What do you think Lolita yeah. should be ranked? I know you're gonna rate it higher than I am. I want to hear it. I will give Lolita. What do you give it? I give it a seven point eight. Seven point eight what? Out of ten. Seven point eight. Seven point eight what? Out of ten. I know. I know. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Hold on. I actually was thinking about this yesterday when I watched it. I was like, Oh God, what I'm gonna rank? Uh, seven. Point eight fake disguises out of ten. I'm gonna give it a nine point six school out of ten. Could be my like one of my highest rated. I mean, I've given a couple ten, but this is this is this movie really blew me away. I I, strange just because I think it's it's deeper and it has a lot to say about the human condition. So I'm going to give it an uh, 8.7 out of 10. I think that's right in the center. Okay. So I yeah, had 7.8, I, you had 9.6. I just think that Hump just a character. Yeah. Uh, and among everything. So, I mean, it's a beautiful film. Oh, yeah. No, it's a. I, I now that we we've, we've talked about it, and I've kind of heard your take on it. I definitely think it, it's my opinion on it has swayed, but not. I still don't think it's better than Strange Love. Like I'm gonna give Strange Love an eight and a half. I'll give Strange Love like a like a nine two. So I I actually think so. Oh gosh, eight and a half, and it's like the same. I'm eight point seven. I guess they both get eight point seven. I I'll say that I give Strange Love a uh eight point seven nukes. Nine point two Kyle Hills. Out of ten. Yeah. I yeah. think what well, two great movies to start with. Yeah, I thought we were kinda gonna go for some and they are sleepers. I, I don't think I think Doctor Strange Love is a lot of people just really kind of a cultural zeitgeist sort of thing. Yeah. People recognize. But Lolita, I, I didn't even did both. We decided to start 
Moving the screen. Yeah. Um, I mean, come on. It's good. Oh no, Lolita Lolita's good, man. Um But with that, now that we've given our rankings, I do think it's time for us to end this episode. It is very close to one AM. Oh, we've been recording We've been recording since nine o'clock. We have. We've been recording for a very long time. But this is this is good. This is this is how it be, baby. This is beyond the screen. Hey, hey. I'd record another two hours, Brian. Oh no, same. I could just not stop talking. But okay, at well, at some point we have to limit ourselves. Yeah, what's uh, what's a story without? Sorry, what? What's a story without the? Exactly. Are you asking? Or are you being rhetorical? Uh, well, Ryan, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> it has been, Cole. It's been a great night. Okay. Uh, goodbye. And uh, audience, just please be safe. Just it's it's a cold, cold world. Try to find any way you can. Yes, sir. And. To wrap us up on our first two part two episodes a week moving forward um to wrap this up thank you guys so much for watching thank you guys so much for listening wherever you guys are listening from um if you're not listening on every platform which i don't expect you guys to if you're listening on youtube share it on spotify share it on youtube if you're on spotify share it on youtube do what you can to make this thing grow um we're a small but sturdy community here um we do this because we love it. We don't really gain anything from it. Um, we get no monetary value yet. Um, hopefully one day maybe this could be something that we do as a career. Wouldn't that be something? You know, Ryan, I'm not going to get my hopes up, but maybe, we, maybe uh, we'll just blow up. Yeah, we, we do nothing but be film critics, break film news, and we make films ourselves. And yes, we make films. That's what. Here's the thing. I... You guys hear you heard it here first. I'm gonna be a filmmaker these days. I guess I already am in a way. Um, and I'm gonna really uh, break down some barriers as to what you all think films should be, because I watch horror. Thinking what the people who made this film are nothing but a bunch of sissies. <laughs> I think. I think even films like. The shock films and stuff. I don't want to make those. Like these are going to be very plot heavy films. But like, come on. I I think we're all big kids. Up. We can see some really gruesome. I plan on being being the mouthpiece. Share this. Yeah, and I really think you'll find a following with that. And I hope that we can make films together and continue to make films. We're together. we're gonna make some. We're gonna. I'm gonna make a. You want to hear the gr- Sorry, what? You want to hear a nasty movie I'm going to make? Oh lord. Uh let's I'm not going to have this on the air. Uh I do want okay. to hear about it, but I'm, I think, It's not sexually nasty. No, I know. Or anything like that. I know, but I want uh, okay. this to be a surprise. Okay. I want when you release this. Oh yeah. The only reason I say that is because it is 12:47 a.m. and we've been going for an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> well, Ryan, let's go to bed. Let's go to bed, indeed, everybody. Um, if you guys are more awake than we are, as I said, like, share. Um, love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Cole, say goodbye.
Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you guys. Love you guys. We'll see you in the next one. Love you.